Welcome back, our fellow patriots, to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics Podcast. Last episode, we explored the genesis of the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, their drafting and ratification. The first draft of the Articles was presented to the Second Continental Congress on July 12, 1776, and was approved by the Congress on November 15, 1777, not ratified by all the states until February 2, 1781, and became effective March 1, 1781. Despite the delayed ratification, they guided the Congress as if they had been adopted when the Congress approved sending them to the states back on November 15th of 1777. If you are like most Americans, you had a passing understanding that the Articles of Confederation were something that were so flawed that we needed to adopt the Constitution. No doubt, that is true. However, we cannot have a full perspective on the Constitution without a basic understanding of the Articles and their shortfalls and strengths. As such, in this episode, we will explore the text of the Articles of Confederation and their remarkable achievements. When I say we, I'm joined by Mike Gerard and bombastic Brent Bassett. We will begin by reciting the actual text of the Articles. We truly believe in reviewing primary documents, and that's why we do it. And here we go. To all to whom these presents shall come, we the undersigned delegates of the states affixed to our names send greeting. Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union between the states of New Hampshire, Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island, and Providence Plantations, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. 1. The style of this Confederacy shall be the United States of America. 2. Each state retains its sovereignty, freedom, and independence and every power, jurisdiction, and right, which is not by this confederation expressly delegated to the United States in Congress assembled. 3. The said states hereby severally enter into a firm league of friendship with each other for their common defense, the security of their liberties, and their mutual and general welfare, binding themselves to assist each other against all force offered to or attacks made upon them or any of them on account of religion, sovereignty, trade, or any other pretense whatsoever. 4. The better to secure and perpetuate mutual friendship and intercourse among the people of the different states in this union, the free inhabitants of each of these states, paupers, vagabonds, and fugitives from justice accepted, shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of free citizens in the several states and the people of each state shall have free ingress and regress to and from any other state, and shall enjoy therein all the privileges of trade and commerce, subject to the same duties, impositions, and restrictions as the inhabitants thereof respectively, provided that such restrictions shall not extend so far as to prevent the removal of property imported into any state, to any other state, of which the owner is an inhabitant, provided also that no imposition, duties, or restrictions shall be laid by any other state on the property of the United States, or either of them, if any person guilty of or charged with treason, felony, or other high misdemeanor in any state shall flee from justice and be found in any of the United States, he shall, upon demand of the governor or executive power of the state from which he fled, 
be delivered up and removed to the state having jurisdiction of his offense. Full faith and credit shall be given in each of these states to the records, acts, and judicial proceedings of the courts and magistrates of every other state. 5. For the most convenient management of the general interest of the United States, delegates shall be annually appointed in such manner as the legislatures of each state shall direct to meet in Congress on the first Monday in November in every year with a power reserved to each state to recall its delegates or any of them at any time within the year and to send others in their stead for the remainder of the year. No state shall be represented in Congress by less than two nor more than seven members, and no person shall be capable of being a delegate for more than three years in any term of six years, nor shall any person being a delegate be capable of holding any office under the United States for which he or another for his benefit receives any salary, fees, or emolument of any kind. Each state shall maintain its own delegates in a meeting of the states, and while they act as members of the committee of the states. In determining questions in the United States in Congress assembled, each state shall have one vote. Freedom of speech and debate in Congress shall not be impeached or questioned in any court or place of Congress, and the members of Congress shall be protected in their persons from arrest or imprisonment during the time of their going to and from and attendance on Congress, except for treason, felony, or breach of the peace. 6. No state without the consent of the United States in Congress assembled shall send any embassy to, or receive any embassy from, or enter into any conference, agreement, alliance, or treaty with any king, prince, or state. Nor shall any person holding any office of profit or trust under the United States, or any of them, accept any present, emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. Nor shall the United States in Congress assembled, or any of them, grant any title of nobility. No two or more states shall enter into any treaty, confederation, or alliance whatever between them, without the consent of the United States in Congress assembled, specifying accurately the purposes for which the same is to be entered into, and how long it shall continue. No state shall lay any imposts or duties which may interfere with any stipulations and treaties entered into by the United States in Congress assembled with any king, prince, or state in pursuance of any treaties already proposed by Congress to the courts of France and Spain. No vessel of war shall be kept up in time of peace by any state except such number only as shall be deemed necessary by the United States in Congress assembled for the defense of such state or its trade. Nor shall any body of forces be kept up by any state in time of peace, except such number only as in the judgment of the United States in Congress assembled, shall be deemed requisite to garrison the forts necessary for the defense of such state. But every state shall always keep up a well-regulated and disciplined militia, sufficiently armed and accoutred, and shall provide and constantly have ready for use, in public stores, a due number of filled pieces and tents, and a proper quantity of arms, ammunition, and camp equipage. No state shall engage in any war without the consent of the United States and Congress assembled unless such state be actually invaded by enemies, or shall have received certain advice of a resolution being formed by some nation of Indians to invade such state, and the danger is so imminent as not to admit of a delay till the United States and Congress assembled can be consulted. Nor shall any state grant commissions to any ships or vessels of war, nor letters of mark or reprisal, except it be after a declaration of war 
by the United States and Congress assembled, and then only against the kingdom or state and the subjects thereof against which war has been so declared, and under such regulations as shall be established by the United States and Congress assembled, unless such state be infested by pirates, in which case vessels of war may be fitted out for that occasion, and kept so long as the danger shall continue, or until the United States and Congress assembled shall determine otherwise. 7. When land forces are raised by any state for the common defense, all officers of or under the rank of colonel shall be appointed by the legislature of each state respectively, by whom such forces shall be raised, or in such manner as such state shall direct, and all vacancies shall be filled up by the state which first made the appointment. 8. All charges of war and all other expenses that shall be incurred for the common defense or general welfare and allowed by the United States in Congress assembled shall be defrayed out of a common treasury, which shall be supplied by the several states in proportion to the value of all land within each state, granted or surveyed for any person, as such land and all the buildings and improvements thereon shall be estimated according to such mode as the United States in Congress assembled shall from time to time direct and appoint. The taxes for paying that proportion shall be laid and levied by the authority and direction of the legislatures of the several states within the time agreed upon by the United States in Congress assembled. 9. The United States in Congress assembled shall have the sole and exclusive right and power of determining on peace and war, except in the cases mentioned in the sixth article of sending and receiving ambassadors, entering into treaties and alliances, provided that no treaty of commerce shall be made, whereby the legislative power of the respective states shall be restrained from imposing such imposts and duties on foreigners, as their own people are subjected to or from prohibiting the exportation or importation of any species of goods or commodities whatsoever, of establishing rules for deciding in all cases what captures on land or water shall be legal, and in what manner prizes taken by land or naval forces in the service of the United States shall be divided or appropriated, of granting letters of mark and reprisal in times of peace, appointing courts for the trial of piracies and felonies committed on the high seas, and establishing courts for receiving and determining finally appeals in all cases of captures, provided that no member of Congress shall be appointed a judge of any of the said courts. The United States and Congress assembled shall also be the last resort on appeal in all disputes and differences now subsisting or that hereafter may arise between two or more states concerning boundary, jurisdiction, or any other causes whatever, which authority shall always be exercised in the manner following. Whenever the legislative or executive authority or lawful agent of any state in controversy with another shall present a petition to Congress stating the matter in question and praying for a hearing, Notice thereof shall be given by order of Congress to the legislative or executive authority of the other state in controversy, and a day assigned for the appearance of the parties by their lawful agents, who shall then be directed to appoint by joint consent commissioners or judges to constitute a court for hearing and determining the matter in question. But, if they cannot agree, Congress shall name three persons out of each of the United States, and from the list of such persons, each party shall alternately strike out one, the petitioners beginning until the number shall be reduced to thirteen. And from that number, not less than seven, nor more than nine names as Congress shall direct, shall, in the presence of Congress, be drawn out by lot, 
and the persons whose names shall be drawn, or any five of them, shall be commissioners or judges, to hear and finally determine the controversy, so always as a major point of the judges who shall hear the cause shall agree in the determination. And if either party shall neglect to attend at the day appointed, without showing reasons, which Congress shall judge sufficient, or being present, shall refuse to strike, the Congress shall proceed to nominate three persons out of each state, and the Secretary of Congress shall strike in behalf of such party absent or refusing. And the judgment and sentence of the court to be appointed, in the manner before prescribed, shall be final and conclusive. And if any of the parties shall refuse to submit to the authority of such court, or to appear or defend their claim or cause, the court shall nevertheless proceed to pronounce sentence or judgment, which shall in like manner be final and decisive. The judgment or sentence and other proceedings being in either case transmitted to Congress and lodged among the acts of Congress for the security of the parties concerned, provided that every commissioner, before he sits in judgment, shall take an oath to be administered by one of the judges, be deprived of territory for the benefit of the United States. All controversies concerning the private right of soil claimed under different grants of two or more states, whose jurisdictions, as they may respect such lands, and the states which pass such grants are adjusted, the said grants, or either of them being at the same time claimed to have originated antecedent to such settlement of jurisdiction, shall, on the petition of either party to the Congress of the United States, be finally determined as near as may be in the same manner as it is before prescribed for deciding disputes respecting territorial jurisdiction between different states. The United States in Congress assembled shall also have the sole and exclusive right and power of regulating the alloy and value of coin struck by their own authority or by that of the respective states, fixing the standards of weights and measures throughout the United States, regulating the trade and managing all affairs with the Indians, not members of any of the states, provided that the legislative right of any state within its own limits be not infringed or violated, establishing or regulating post offices from one state to another throughout all the United States, and exacting such postage on the papers passing through the same as may be requisite to defray the expenses of the said office, appointing all officers of the land forces in the service of the United States, excepting regimental officers, appointing all of the officers of the naval forces, and commissioning all officers whatsoever in the service of the United States, making rules for the government and regulation of the said lands and naval forces and directing their operations. The United States and Congress assembled shall have authority to appoint a committee to sit in the recess of Congress to be denominated a committee of the states and to consist of one delegate from each state and to appoint such other committees and civil officers as may be necessary for managing the general affairs of the United States under their direction, to appoint one of their members to preside, provided that no person be allowed to serve in the office of president more than one year in any term of three years, to ascertain the necessary sums of money to be raised for the service of the United States, and to appropriate and apply the same for defraying the public expenses, to borrow money or emit bills on the credit of the United States, transmitting every half year to the respective states an account of the sums of money so borrowed or emitted, to build and equip a navy, 
to agree upon the number of land forces and to make requisitions from each state for its quota in proportion to the number of white inhabitants in such state, which requisition shall be binding, and thereupon the legislature of each state shall appoint the regimental officers, raise the men and clothe, arm, and equip them in a solid-like manner at the expense of the United States." And the officers and men so clothed, armed, and equipped shall march to the place appointed, and within the time agreed on by the United States in Congress assembled. But if the United States in Congress assembled shall, on consideration of circumstances, judge proper that any state should not raise men, or should raise a smaller number of men than the quota thereof, such extra number shall be raised, officered, clothed, armed and equipped in the same manner as the quota of each state unless the legislature of such state shall judge that extra number cannot be safely spread out in the same, in which case they shall raise, officer, clothe, arm, and equip as many of such extra number as they judge can be safely spared. And the officers and men so clothed, armed, and equipped shall march to the place appointed and, within the time agreed on, by the United States in Congress assembled. The United States in Congress assembled shall never engage in a war, nor grant letters of mark or reprisal in times of peace, nor enter into any treaties or alliances, nor coin money, nor regulate the value thereof, nor ascertain the sums and expenses necessary for the defense and welfare of the United States or any of them, nor emit bills, nor borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor appropriate money, nor agree upon the number of vessels of war to be built or purchased or the number of land or sea forces to be raised, nor appoint a commander-in-chief of the army or navy, unless nine states assent to the same, nor shall a question on any other point, except for adjourning from day to day to be determined, unless by the votes of the majority of the United States in Congress assembled. The Congress of the United States shall have power to adjourn to any time within the year, and to any place within the United States so that no period of adjournment be for a longer duration than the space of six months, and shall publish the journal of their proceedings monthly, except such parts thereof relating to treaties, alliances, or military operations, as in their judgment require secrecy. And the yeas and nays of the delegates of each state on any question shall be entered on the journal, when it is desired by any delegates of a state or any of them, at his or their request, shall be furnished with a transcript of the said journal, except such parts as are above accepted, to lay before the legislatures of the several states. 10. The Committee of the States, or any nine of them, shall be authorized to execute, in the recess of Congress, such of the powers of Congress as the United States in Congress assembled, by the consent of nine states, shall from time to time think expedient to vest them with, provided that no power be delegated to the said committee, for the exercise of which, by the Articles of Confederation, the voice of nine states in the Congress of the United States assembled is requisite. 11. Canada, acceding to this confederation and adjoining in the measures of the United States, shall be admitted into and entitled to all the advantages of this union, but no other colony shall be admitted into the same unless such admission be agreed to by nine states. 12. 
all bills of credit emitted, monies borrowed, and debts contracted by or under the authority of Congress before the assembling of the United States, in pursuance of the present Confederation, shall be deemed and considered as a charge against the United States for payment and satisfaction whereof the said United States and the public faith are hereby solemnly pledged. 13. Every state shall abide by the determination of the United States in Congress assembled on all questions which by this Confederation are submitted to them, and the articles of this Confederation shall be inviolably observed by every state, and the Union shall be perpetual, nor shall any alteration at any time hereafter be made in any of them, unless such alteration be agreed to in a Congress of the United States and be afterwards confirmed by the legislatures of every state. And whereas it hath pleased the great governor of the world to incline the hearts of the legislatures, we respectfully represent in Congress to approve of and to authorize us to ratify the said Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. Know ye that we, the undersigned delegates, by virtue of the power and authority to us given for that purpose, do by these presents, in the name and in behalf of our respective constituents, fully and entirely ratify and confirm each and every of the said Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, and all and singular the matters and things therein contained. And we do further solemnly plight and engage the faith of our respective constituents, that they shall abide by the determinations of the United States in Congress assembled on all questions which by the said Confederation are submitted to them, and that the articles thereof shall be inviolably observed by the states we respectively represent, and that the Union shall be perpetual. In witness whereof we have hereunto set our hands in Congress, done at Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania, the ninth day of July, in the year of our Lord, 1,778, and in the third year of the independence of America. Agreed to by Congress, 15 November, 1777, in force after ratification by Maryland, 1 March, 1781. In witness whereof we have hereunto set our hands in Congress. Done at Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania, the ninth day of July, in the year of our Lord, 1,778, and in the third year of the Independence of America. On the part and behalf of the state of New Hampshire, Josiah Bartlett, John Wentworth, Jr., August 8, 1778. On the part and behalf of the state of Massachusetts Bay, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, Elbridge Gary. Francis Dana, James Lovell, Samuel Holton. On the part of and behalf of the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, William Ellery, Henry Marchant, John Collins. On the part and behalf of the state of Connecticut, Roger Sherman, Titus Hosmer, Samuel Huntington, Andrew Adams, Oliver Wolcott. On the part and behalf of the state of New York, James Duane, William Dewar, Francis Lewis, Governor Morris. On the part and in behalf of the state of New Jersey, Jonathan Witherspoon, Nathaniel Scudder, November 26, 1778. On the part and behalf of the state of Pennsylvania, Robert Morris, William Klingon, Daniel Roberto, Joseph Reed, July 22, 1778. 
1778. Jonathan Bayard Smith. On the part and behalf of the State of Delaware, John Dickinson, May 5th, 1779, Thomas McKean, February 12th, 1779, Nicholas Van Dyke. On the part and behalf of the State of Maryland, John Henson, March 1st, 1781, Daniel Caro D.O. On the part and behalf of the State of Virginia, Richard Henry Lee, John Harvey, John Bannister, Francis Lightfoot Lee, Thomas Adams. On the part and behalf of the State of North Carolina, John Penn, July 21, 1778, John Williams, Cornelius Harnett. On the part and behalf of the State of South Carolina, Henry Lawrence, Richard Hudson, William Henry Drayton, Thomas Hayward Jr., John Matthews. On the part and behalf of the State of Georgia, John Walton, 24th July, 1778, Edward Telfair, Edward Langworthy. And there you have it. Now, I do have a confession. I do not ever remember reading the entire text of the Articles of Confederation until, quite frankly, I was drafting this episode. Here I am, Mr. Patriot Week, judge of the decade, constitutional law professor, a person many people look up to as an expert on the Constitution, and I never bothered to read the actual text of the Articles of Confederation. That's embarrassing. But that is in part because of the pathetic attention it was given in American history, civics, and constitutional law classes. And that is what we are trying to rectify in this podcast. As you will hear in future episodes, many of the clauses of the Articles of Confederation made their way into the Constitution we have today, in some form or fashion. And we are just silly not to recognize the important legacy of the Articles and to ignore them when we are trying to understand and interpret the Constitution we have today. That's right. Although we just literally went through the Articles line by line, a broad overview here is important to highlight their key features. Article 1 reaffirms the name used at the end of the Declaration of Independence, the United States of America. We have that same name today under our current Constitution. Article 2 provides that each state retains its sovereignty, freedom, and independence. Unless a specific power is expressly given to the United States, it doesn't have that power. This arises from the very nature of the document, a confederation of states. Article 3 establishes a firm league of friendship for the common defense of the states, the security of their liberties, and their mutual general welfare. Like the NATO treaty in effect today, in which an attack on one member is considered an attack on all, Article 3 expressly provides that the states are binding themselves to assist each other against all force offered to or attacks made upon them, or on any of them, on account of religion, sovereignty, trade, or on any other pretense whatsoever. Article 4 guarantees that each citizen of each state shall enjoy all privileges and immunities of free citizens in the several states. It secures a right of travel between the states. It provides for extradition of criminal defendants. That is, for example, a murderer couldn't escape prosecution by fleeing Massachusetts to South Carolina. Under the Articles, South Carolina would send the fugitive back. Also, it provides that full faith and credit shall be given in each of these states to the records, acts, and judicial proceedings 
of the courts and magistrates of every other state. For example, a divorce in North Carolina would be recognized in Connecticut. Article 5 details how Congress is organized. The legislature of each state chooses how to select its state's congressional delegation. There are some limitations. There can be no less than two and no more than seven members of each delegation. Delegates can be recalled or replaced or added to at any time. The delegates are chosen each year, and each state has one vote regardless of the size or wealth of the state or the size of its congressional delegation. This followed the format of the First and Second Continental Congresses. All delegates are barred from holding any other office under the United States for which the delegate would receive any salary, fees, or emolument of any kind. So, for example, a member of Congress could not also be the treasurer of the United States or an ambassador to Spain without losing his or her office, at least not if he or she drew a salary or other compensation. However, delegates are given absolute freedom of speech and debate for what they say in Congress. This allows for unfettered discussion. No one can be arrested or punished for making controversial statements on the floor of the Congress. This provides the most robust debate, allowing the airing of political and other differences and ensuring that all voices, especially minority or unpopular opinions, will be heard. Article 6 prohibits states from conducting their own foreign policies without Congress's consent and prohibits any United States officeholder from receiving gifts or titles from any foreign power. Further, states cannot declare war or attack pirates without the consent of Congress unless actually invaded by a foreign power or infested with pirates. Although Article 6 contemplates that states can enter into treaties with each other, it requires the consent of Congress. It also puts the authority to establish and maintain a navy and army under Congress, continuing the tradition of a continental military force. The Continental Army and Navy is nationally organized with long-term commitments. Article 9 provides that except as noted in Article 6 that Congress has the sole power of determining peace and war, foreign relations, and piracies, and specifically disallows a member of Congress from sitting on a court involving piracy. Under Article 9, Congress appoints Army and Naval Officers of the United States above the rank of Colonel and is in charge of all relations with Native American Indians. The article also specifically empowers Congress to build and equip an Army and a Navy. These provisions are critical. As a united confederation, the United States needs to act with one voice and policy on the world stage. Thus, barring an immediate attack, the issues of war resides in Congress. Moreover, because foreign policy in Europe was notoriously corrupt, especially in France and on the continent, laying out ground rules to prevent bribes or other undue influence from foreign emissaries is vital. After all, the United States is young and relatively poor. The temptations of bribery and corruption need to be fended off. In addition to vesting war and foreign policy powers in Congress, under Article 6, every state has a duty to maintain a well-armed, regulated, and disciplined militia. At this time, although there was a Continental Army, the bulk of defense fell to the states through the militia. The militia is locally organized, generally consisting of every able-bodied free adult man. The militia is called out for short-term assignments, usually lasting from perhaps a day or several weeks to a few months, and on rare occasions, a year. 
Ensuring that the militias are equipped, organized, and disciplined is absolutely essential to public safety, repelling invasions, and ensuring the protection of unalienable rights. Article 6 also prohibits the establishment of a nobility. Indeed, the idea of establishing a new nobility in America is an anathema to what America stands for. Our first principle of equality absolutely abhors the idea of a noble class. Men will succeed based on merit and character, not by their lineage. Article 7 provides that when states raise members of the army, the state will appoint any officers of colonel or below. This idea of local control and deference to local decision-makers is important to ensuring a quality military. Article 8 addresses the finances of the United States. Government operations are to be paid out of a single national treasury and funded by the states in proportion to the value of all surveyed or granted land within each state. To determine the amount of each state's contribution, Congress is authorized to create an accounting procedure and rules for valuing the land. However, Congress does not have the power to directly levy taxes. Instead, taxing authority is left to the states to raise the funds necessary to contribute to the Congressional Treasury. This arrangement depends on the goodwill of both Congress and the states to make the finances of the United States solvent and fair. In addition to addressing the military as mentioned earlier, under Article 9, Congress as a whole is the court of last resort in conflicts involving two or more states, and sets forth a specific procedure for bringing such controversies to Congress for resolution. There being no judiciary, Congress holds the ultimate power. This is a bit like the House of Lords in England. For several centuries, they acted as the Supreme Court for the Empire. Congress also has the authority to resolve land disputes between private parties involving borders between two or more states, which was absolutely critical to resolving these festering issues. Congress is given the sole and exclusive right to coin money, fix standards of weights and measures, regulate trade, and establish a postal service. These powers are essential to unifying the United States in trade relations with the outside world and enable a common market at home. The article also establishes a committee of the states when Congress is in recess. Congress can also appoint other committees and civil officers as may be necessary for managing the general affairs of the United States under their direction. In addition, Congress is authorized to appoint one of its members as president, who would preside over the Congress with a one-year term of office and a term limit of three years within a six-year period. Think of the president as the chair of a committee meeting. He has no independent constitutional powers. Congress is the whole shebang. The president just presides over the meetings. Congress possesses the authority to make a budget, to borrow money, and issue bills of credit of the United States. These are essential to the functioning of a confederation. Congress can make requisitions from each state for its quota of the expenses of the Navy and Army in proportion to the number of white inhabitants in such state, which requisition is binding and thereupon the legislature of each state appoints the regimental officers, raise the men in clothe, arm, and equip them in a solid-like manner at the expense of the United States with Congress controlling the United States military. For most major decisions, nine states must agree. Those decisions include going to war, joining a treaty, coining money, creating a budget, borrowing money, 
raising the Navy and Army, and appointing a Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy. These issues are so important that two-thirds of the states must agree. All remaining issues require a majority vote. It also establishes a congressional journal to record the proceedings of the Congress, which kept up the tradition of the Second Continental Congress. Article 10 vests the Committee of the States to act in times of congressional recesses for powers of Congress that do not require at least nine states to consent. Article 11 pre-admits Canada to join the Confederation if it agrees, but no other colony can be admitted unless agreed to by nine states. Here, the Confederation shows its eagerness to join with Canada, a long-sought-for goal, and allow new states to enter the Confederation if all other members agree. Article 12 guarantees repayment of any debts incurred by the Congress and solemnly pledges the public faith to repaying those debts. Article 13 provides that no amendments to the Articles can be made unless first agreed to by Congress and then each legislature of each state. As a confederation, this makes sense. Each independent state needs to agree to altering the fundamental charter. Article 13 also provides all the states are bound by the Articles and the decisions of Congress for any questions submitted to it. Requiring all states to be bound by the Confederation pretty much states the obvious and embodies the rule of law. That the states must follow Congress's decision on any questions also shows that not only are the Articles the supreme law, but that Congress is in essence the Supreme Court. The Articles proclaim that they are perpetual. Well, they may say that, but they are almost on their deathbed when they are finally ratified. When we begin to explore the text of the Constitution, many of the provisions we have reviewed reappear, either almost directly or modified. And many features of the Constitution will fill in the weaknesses that come into sharp focus after the American Revolution is ended. But we will discuss those in future episodes. Today, let's focus on the positive, constructive, indeed revolutionary aspects of the Articles. We tend to ignore these altogether, but they are so important to the future of the country and really world history. First, the Articles established a written constitution. A constitution is the highest law of the land that sets out the structure and powers of the government, how the government is organized, and its authority. There is no doubt that there were a number of written documents over the ages that purported to have what we might consider the effect of a constitution. But historians generally acknowledge that the United States Constitution, ratified in 1788, was the first entirely codified constitution. That means that everything was written down in one supreme document. England, for example, has a largely unwritten constitution based on traditions and customs, supplemented by acts of parliament and proclamations by the monarch. The scholars that claim that the current United States Constitution was the first codified constitution skip over the fact that the Articles of Confederation were also codified. All the constitutional rules were written down in one place. When we discussed the Declaration of Independence, we learned how the Declaration was based on the first principles of the rule of law, unalienable rights, limited government, the social compact, equality, and the right to alter or abolish an oppressive government. Well, the Articles are the living embodiment of the first principle of the rule of law, literally. 
Second, the Articles were approved unanimously by the states. The Constitution was adopted by a voluntary process in peacetime. It was not dictated from on high or forced onto a subjugated people. The Articles are the embodiment of the first principle of the social compact. They literally established the social compact between the states and indirectly the people they represented. Third, By joining the Articles, the states voluntarily gave up some of their authority, their sovereignty, to rule themselves. This is a remarkable accomplishment. They decided that it was in the best interests of the states and their people, and of all the people throughout the United States, to relinquish some of their powers to a higher authority. Again, it was a peaceful transition of giving up of power— This development embodied the first principle of limited government. In fact, the Articles were so limited in power that it ultimately undermined their ability to be an effective form of government. Fourth, the Articles created a republic. There was no monarchy, no military ruler, no theocracy, no noble class, no dictator. We take this for granted, yet even today, billions of people are subject to tyranny at the end of a barrel of a gun. Here, the first principles of unalienable rights and the social compact were recognized. Now, true, the reality is that it was a republic of 13 republics, or perhaps more accurately, a confederation of 13 republics. But the key revolutionary idea is that there was no overarching oppressive governmental authority, but a government that required voting and rested on the basis that each individual was important, created equal, vested with inalienable rights, and took an essential part in the decision-making of the political government. The Articles formed a republic of republics. Fifth, the Articles specifically provided a method for their amendment. We will discuss later how this was particularly difficult, but the reality is that they did allow changes in the constitutional order without bloodshed. They built into the system an ability to enact a bloodless revolution, embodying the first principle of revolution, that is, the ability to alter or abolish an oppressive government. Sixth, Another great strength of the Articles is that it limited the scope of legislation and severely limited the lawful authority of the government. Unlike other governments, which had wide-open, broad, sometimes unlimited authority, the Articles incorporated the first principle of limited government as its governing reality. Seventh, which is very much related to the first point of a written constitution and the sixth point of a limited government, is that the powers granted to the government were very specific and expressly written out. This principle is explicitly stated in Article 2. This is the idea of enumerated powers, which means that the authority of the government is limited to what is actually expressed and written out. In contrast, in most other governments, the government is presumed to have unlimited authority unless there are specific exceptions that limit the power of the government. The Articles, on the other hand, were structured and written in such a way that the United States government possessed only those powers specifically provided to the government in the Articles. This is fundamental to preserving the rule of law and limited government, as well as protecting our unalienable rights. Eighth. 
that the articles were adopted at all is its own miracle. That 13 disparate independent states would agree to a confederation with 13 articles showed the great promise of America. The major world powers at the time would have been delighted to have Americans splinter, fracture, quarrel, and fight among themselves. This would have proved that freedom is fatal and that the old guard, tyrannical methods of governing were necessary. The failure of America would mean that men could not be trusted to rule themselves. The articles proved the opposite. America was becoming a shining city on a hill as a force for freedom, liberty, equality, and justice to inspire billions across the ages. Some key takeaways from this episode. The Articles of Confederation were America's first constitution, and many of its provisions continue to deeply influence America as codified in some form or fashion in the current federal constitution. Among those provisions are our name, the United States of America. The articles were remarkable for a variety of reasons, including, one, for establishing a written constitution, two, by being unanimously adopted, three, because the states voluntarily relinquished some of their powers for the common greater good, four, by creating a republic of republics, five, providing a mechanism for amendments, six, embodying limited government, seven, creating a congress of enumerated powers, and eight, by being adopted at all. Join us next time when we explore what went wrong with these remarkable Articles of Confederation, setting the stage for the Constitutional Convention. I am Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Michael Warren and author of America's Survival Guide. Our other two terrific Patriot narrators are Mike Gerard Skinechny, who is our sign designer and who does an amazing in-person rendition of John Adams, and bombastic Brent Bassett, who does an amazing in-person rendition of Benjamin Franklin. This podcast is produced by Patriot Week. Please visit Patriot Week's website at patriotweek.org to learn more about our founding first principles, key documents and speeches, founding fathers and other great patriots, and flags from our history, and all the great goodies we have to offer. Our fellow patriots, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, our fellow patriots, for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us. That is, if you're going to give us those five golden stars, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and many other platforms. You can also find much more at patriotweek.org, which includes videos, lesson plans, TV episodes, and many other goodies. Patriot Week is celebrated every year from September 11th, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, through September 17th, the anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. It has been recognized by the U.S. Senate and many states. Patriot Week was started by then 10-year-old Leah Warren when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration of America. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Instagram, or reach out directly at mwarren at patriotweek.org. Also consider Judge Warren's book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles and History by visiting americasurvivalguide.com, Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America.